Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Vivian Kelly. And I'm Tim Burrows. Joining Tim and I to break down your week in media and marketing is Mumbrella's senior media reporter, Hannah Blackiston. Hello. And reporter, Brittany Rigby. Hello. This week, we'll be talking about... Paul Anderson, Toby Barber and the week in exits. The winners and losers of 2020's first radio ratings. And the ACCC begins its investigation into media agencies and ad tech. First up, 10 CEO Paul Anderson unexpectedly announced his exit from the business this week, revealing that he would be stepping down after more than four and a half years as CEO and 17 with the company. The announcement came shortly after his role was further integrated with new 10 owner Viacom CBS in January, giving him the title of CEO of Network 10 and Executive Vice President for Viacom CBS Networks Australia and New Zealand. Wow, that's a lot of words. <laughs> Hannah, his role as CEO of Network 10 and Executive Vice President for Viacom CBS Networks Australia and New Zealand isn't being replaced at this time. What's happening instead? Perhaps there were too many words and they decided not to. Um, No, so he will not be being replaced. We're not exactly sure what's going to happen just yet. So what we know so far is that TEN's current chief content officer, Beverly Mugabe, has been promoted to hold her chief content officer position with TEN, but also do that across Viacom CBS in Australia and New Zealand. We have been told that alongside her, she will eventually get a co-leader, giving 10 and Viacom CBS two leaders in ANZ. But we don't yet know who that person is. What instead has happened is someone has been brought into the business in the interim. Henriette Rothschild has come in from Quartermentha, which is an advisory firm. She's going to be taking on the position of Chief Transformation Officer. I love a Chief Transformation <laughs> Officer. So she'll be doing that. We've just been told in the interim, not really sure how long that process will take. Quartermentha, of course, being best known as insolvency practitioners. Indeed. Yes. So that is the words I have the words I have heard are that perhaps she's been brought in to maybe review the financial situation at ten. I know we know when CBS came in, they pumped a lot of money into the business, and maybe now Viacom has merged with CBS that it's no longer viable. I'm not sure. So until Henriette has done her duty, I don't know that we'll know who the other co-leader is. And Tim, Tim how do we feel about co-leadership? Yeah, that pause isn't an editing problem, by the way. Yeah. Um, I, what I find myself thinking about is the number of times we've written about, particularly agencies, having joint bosses, followed by the number of times we've then written about one or both of those bosses then leaving. Indeed. Not so long afterwards. In, in the creative space, when White Grey was formed, there were co CEOs. When VML and YNR came together to form VML YNR, there were two CEOs. They've all left now and have all gone back to having one very certain, very clear leader. So it's it's interesting to have one of our three main free-to-air networks without a CEO and without one single person responsible and in charge. It feels like a temporary situation, doesn't it? It doesn't feel like in five years' time that will be the situation. Are you saying we're going to be writing about more co-leaderships falling apart? Look, I'm not saying that. 
but we might see an evolution of roles. I think the that's other... what the the press release will probably say. <laughs> I think the other person who's kind of in the mix here, uh, Ben Richardson, who was looking after Viacom CBS's networks beyond 10 in Australia was kind of moved to be underneath Paul Anderson when Paul Anderson took on that extremely lengthy title in January. He hasn't come into the mix again since then. It kind of, to me, suggests that maybe he would be a good one for the role. The other one being Rod Prosser, who did get a bit of a boost to be moved into the head of 10 and Viacom CBS's sales team last year. The other half of this role alongside Beverly Mugabe is going to be a commercial role. So to me, both of those seem like they might be viable options for it. I wonder with Rod, it's, 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 yes, he's experienced in the industry, but in TV terms, maybe the view is he's just not quite experienced enough yet, perhaps. So, Tim, what's the industry sentiment or, or the verdict on Paul? 17 years with one company is a long time. So people must have a read on how they think he performed. Ten went through a number of changes and challenges while he was there, that's for sure. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Because I I think my vote is that he was a success as CEO despite leading a company into insolvency. Um, he inherited from his board an absolute mess when there were lots of ambitions for various optimistic and ambitious shareholders to take control of 10 lots of shenanigans that eventually saw it loaded up with a bunch of debt that it couldn't cope with um which of course is what eventually led it to end up in cbs's hands he gave a lot of stability to the staff at that time and they came out the other side and arguably came out stronger um and you know it, it still feels like a network that was on a low base, but is on the way up. So I, I think people will actually look back quite favourably on his on his time. Because there was a time where leadership of 10 was quite tumultuous, wasn't it? Where James Warburton, who's now the CEO of 7, was fired by the board. And I think Grant Correct. Blackley, who's now at the helm of Southern Cross Stereo, had a bit of a stint there as well that didn't work out. So, I mean, it seems like Paul has actually resigned rather than been sacked like previous CEOs. So... It sort of feels like a shame that they've they've lost that period of stability and, and now they're going to have this weird co-leadership thing going on. Yeah, look, I think they'll be very sorry to see him go. I think um, as well it's worth noting he's done a big interview with Media Week and in that he has both denied that he was pushed out and said that it was just his own choice and something that's been in the making for a long time. But he also very pointedly said that his time in the media industry is not over. So I would like to know where we're going to see Paul Anderson popping up next. Let's speculate. <laughs> People... Even when people say their time in the media is over, they tend to be lying. So at least he's been honest and upfront and admits that he'll be back in some way because I never believe them when they say, oh, no, I don't need another prominent role. What is are the Seven? vacancies? <laughs> is Seven still looking for a chief something officer? Seven still needs a chief content officer. And when you and I, Hannah, spoke to Seven CEO James Warburton a while ago now after their financial results, he said they were in the final stages of locking in their preferred candidate. Now, we've heard nothing, so that's either a protracted negotiation or it sort of hasn't gotten across the line yet. Don't think it's him, though. <laughs> no. And look, speaking of roles not being replaced, that was a bit of the trend of the week uh, with 
Publicist Media's CEO, Toby Barber, leaving the business. So he'd previously been CEO of one of Publicist Media's agencies, Starcom, and got pushed up the ranks to look after the likes of Starcom, Zenith and Spark Foundry. His role, though, isn't going to be replaced with the media agency CEOs instead directly reporting into Publicist Group CEO, Michael Ribello. Tim... That feels like, well, one, it's obviously a way to save money in that one less CEO is a lot less money to pay in that Toby decided to leave, but once he makes the decision, you can save his salary there. But it does feel like Michael Ribello's role is now incredibly large. Yeah, Michael's role has grown and obviously he's come very much from a creative agency background. Very well respected, probably best known as when he was the boss of Saatchi and Saatchi, but very much from the creative side. So this is this will be a new world for him or a relatively new world for him. Um, I guess there have been one or two sort of previous examples of this. I mean, arguably, if you look over a... Um, IPG media brands last year you know you once Danny Bass left you saw Lee Terry who actually had a APAC role babysitting the group but otherwise there was no direct CEO of the group so I I wonder if it also just says something about the relative size and profitability of media agencies generally that the days of the many multiple brands the big groups a big beginning to move away so actually that sort of group boss in the way in the way that we see it that might be an obvious place to save a let's call it a half a million dollar salary is that your wild speculation of what these people earn that i reckon would be i'm, I'm guessing at least that is my guess so do you think uh, in these uncertain times in 2020 that this is a trend that we'll continue to see with high profile people leaving and not then being replaced? Look, I mean, there, were, there was plenty of speculation over at WPP when um, Jens Monzies came in on what would happen with Group A and where you, you, you've you got the very experienced John Steadman sort of keeping a weather eye over that group. You've also got Mark Lowback keeping a weather eye over that group. There's two expensive salaries right there. I'm not, not saying I've got any inside track on that, but certainly I, 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 I was curious about WP being able to justify that for example next up the winners and losers of the first radio survey for 2020 this week also saw the first radio ratings for 2020 in Sydney, ARN's KISS FM's Carl and Jackie O Breakfast Show slipped slightly, falling behind the ABC's Wendy Harmer and Robbie Buck. But they did still maintain their much-prized FM breakfast crown. There was also a slight gain for SCA's Today FM, where music is now the focus for breakfast. Hannah, any time SCA has a bit of an uplift in Today FM, it's seen as a win. You know, they had multiple, multiple breakfast hosts. 
they then decided to go with this music strategy. And so even a tiny uplift is, is seen as a win. Not going backwards is, is fantastic. When this was implemented, we were sort of speculating, is this actually a long-term strategy or are they filling in some time so that the media hype around the failed various iterations of the Today FM Breakfast Show goes away, they can play some music, and then in a few years or a few months they can bring in some talent What's, what's your read on, on how it's performing and if they actually want to stick with this music-based format? Yeah, I can remember when it came in and we, I think everybody everywhere asked Gemma Fordham about a hundred times how long it was going to last and she kept saying it was for the long haul, it was for the long haul. So this survey it climbed 0.2 percentage points to 3.7%, which however way you turn it is still a fairly dismal percentage, but Obviously, it's not declining, which, as you said, at Today FM is a bonus. I My read really is that they're just going to stick with it because, as you said, it's not declining, um, whereas they really struggled during their, you know, cycling of breakfast hosts with some declines and some obviously very overall big declines. So I think, honestly, it, this seems to be performing fine. Plenty of people have pointed out several times that it's a cheap way to run a breakfast show. They're probably still dealing with a little bit of commercial backlog from the amount of presenters they've got on the payroll somewhere down the line. I feel like if this, if it's not doing bad, it should just stay. It's worth noting that Today FM in general in the people 10 plus demographic actually climbed 1.2 percentage points to have a a share of 5.3. Now, that's still obviously well behind 2GB's 13.2 and then on FM, it's well behind KISS FM's 8.1, but it's actually overtaken its Southern Cross Stereo stable mate, Triple M, 104.9, which fell to 4.9. So you've got a Today FM share of 5.3 and a Triple M share of 4.9. Tim, I'm sure you can remember a time when Southern Cross Stereo was far more dominant in Sydney. They're doing fine in in other markets, but is it – we've focused so much over the past few years on Today FM, but is it actually – looking at those numbers with Today FM being in front of Triple M, is it actually an SCA Sydney problem? So my brows will waggle at the Triple M number. I suppose one one case to make is obviously content is very – heavily sport based so we're about to you know for sydney come into nrl season which obviously you 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 would expect to see that sort of bounce back from probably its weakest uh point of the year but yeah look they're not they're not firing on all cylinders are they really and they used to be absolutely fearsome in sydney you know they they you know they used to be the the the, the dominant fm voices um, but yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, and I think your point on the power of 2GB, obviously, then so much comes into demographics, advertising demographics, you know, arguably, um, you know, getting twice the number on AM, on talk, doesn't necessarily deliver the same uh, advertising revenue as half that number on FM might. Yeah, so I was going to talk about, because we obviously angled the Sydney-based radio story on the fact that Wendy Harmer and Robbie Buck on the ABC had overtaken Cole and Jackie O. Obviously, Alan Jones on 2GB is still the market leader, but 
I mean, a lot of people said, oh, that's so significant in that they wanted to see it as a sign of Kyle and Jackie O's diminishing power or someone else coming in and, and shaking it up. So KISS 106.5 still has a 9.9% share in breakfast. So they fell 1.5 points from 114 but they're still, you know, they're still very dominant and Duncan Campbell from ARN said that it's well within their normal range and fluctuations. So is it significant that... The ABC now is on 11.8 in breakfast and, and Kiss is on 9.9 or are we talking about such different audiences that it's more just like an interesting number than an actual change of the landscape? Well, it's culturally significant because, but of course, because it's the ABC, they're not a commercial competitor. So, so long as the advertising dollars stay in radio, I guess the commercial radio industry doesn't stress too much about that. But certainly if you think about, you know, radio's cultural contribution, uh, yeah, it's really interesting seeing that sort of rise for the ABC. Um, but again, the question is, instinctively would Wendy Harmon and Robbie Buck be taking audience directly off Carl and Jackie O? I'm not sure. I did ask uh, the radio bosses of the commercial networks, so ARN and Nova and Southern Cross Hills Stereo, uh, you know, what it would take to, to topple Carl and Jackie O. Um, one of the perhaps tongue-in-cheek responses was that Kyle just needs to take more sick days and then then uh, other other shows will have a chance to get on top. Uh, and then Nova claimed a bit that they don't even worry about Kyle and Jackie O, they just do their own thing. And one other thought just occurs to me, and this, this might get overly mathematical if I'm not careful, um, one of the things I noticed was that, uh, and you and I talked about it, was that it looks like nine, the owners of 2UE, have pulled that off the ratings. So, of course, it was only two or three percentage points it was bringing in but i guess because they're not included in the total percentage that will have been distributed around ever so slightly so everybody will have nudged up ever so slightly everybody do you think that people who were listening to that station have have jumped on to well, remember today they, fm no, breakfast they, 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 music? they haven't moved away but the rest of the pie has yes. been re-sliced so somebody who had I don't know, 2.5% of the share might now show up as 2.6 while having precisely the same number of actual listeners. But as I say, that's perhaps overly mathematical. But how humiliating for 2UE? Is it the final humiliation that they're not even in the ratings anymore? I believe they were removed because they're in the process of switching over to their music format. You remember those really cool rebrands we saw a little while ago where they told us that what the music industry had been missing was some 70s and 80s jams will they ever come back in though (laughs) well we've been we have been promised they will be back in the next rating so hold it now if they don't appear back in the next ratings we've got this on the record It's worth noting before we move on, which we do have to do quickly because we're coming to you from Umbrella's Travel Marketing Summit, which might explain some of the noise in the background at the Four Seasons Hotel. Listen to that sound of people washing their hands. Yes. Uh, In Melbourne, Christian O'Connell and Gold were back on top in FM after losing the crown at the end of 2019. And Adelaide saw former Triple J breakfast hosts Ben and Liam make their debut on Nova, where it did slip slightly, but for a brand new show, brand new lineup coming across from the ABC. I think that they're very, very 
happy with that result and I think that they're very optimistic that there wasn't a huge fall often when you have a, a change in lineup. You know, you just got to look at Today FM's numbers to know that that can cause a fall. So I think they're feeling pretty positive about that. Worth noting though, across the board, Triple J's breakfast was up almost across the board. So that's also quite interesting because they've just had Lucy and Erica move in who, again, I think it's their first ever female duo in breakfast and also coming off the back of Ben and Liam, who were quite popular, I believe they went out topping Matt and Alex's share before that. So it is quite interesting. I think obviously it's going to take particularly Nova listeners a little while to warm up to them. But I think it's quite interesting how well Triple J has done. And just briefly to circle back to Melbourne, uh, Tim, why do you think uh, Christian O'Connell was back on top? I thought they they really connected on the bushfires really well uh, and that would have all been co- covered in this ratings period they they came back on air early to do some special shows which really caught people's imagination and then their heroes gold promotion this special fundraising bushfire beer really felt like it tapped into the community like to me it was good community radio all right, up next, the ACCC begins its investigation into the murky world of media agencies and ad tech. And lastly, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commissions, the ACCC, has begun its investigation into media agencies and ad tech companies, calling for feedback and information about the digital advertising supply chain and agency services in Australia. Now, Viv, you chatted to the ACCC chair, Rod Sims. This is potentially quite a big deal, isn't it? I'm really split on whether or not this is a big deal because... All of the language that Rod and the ACCC are using indicate that it could be a really big deal. He rejects the idea that they're a toothless tiger. He re- yes, you bravely challenged him whether he was one, <laughs> didn't you? Yes, and he said uh, that the only people who think the ACCC is a toothless tiger are consumers who believe that petrol prices should be lower, but corporate Australia doesn't actually buy into the idea that the ACCC is, is toothless and just does inquiry after inquiry after inquiry. So the language he's using is strong. He's left some quite pointed warnings in, in that he sort of said, you know, if if people have nothing to hide, they shouldn't be nervous. And if everything's hunky-dory, it's okay. But if you've got something to hide, watch out. But his measures for success are quite a challenge, which is why I'm sceptical about where we can get to from this. He thinks that a measure of success is if Australians can understand the digital ad supply chain and fully understand why when they log on to a website, what happens in that nanosecond and what forces drive an ad appearing that is targeted to you. I don't know if a 623-page report, for example, which I think was the length of their digital platforms report after their digital platforms inquiry, can distill that for everyday people. But I suppose success for the industry is if we can understand where the money goes when it starts off as an advertiser dollar and ends up with the publisher as a few cents. Um, and it does feel that there's a bit of a, a drumbeat around this to get to it. You know, we, you know, I, I, I covered the launch in the UK a couple of weeks back of the Incorporated Society of British Advertisers own report they've commissioned from PwC where they've worked with 
a bunch of premium publishers, a bunch with brands to track their course. It feels like globally people are beginning to pull together to actually begin to get to what's really happening. I mean, I did ask Rod in our chat before uh, the inquiry sort of kicked off asking for submissions to their issues paper why he believes that a market like Australia is the one that can understand, unwind and unravel this mess in that it does seem like globally we're not quite there yet. And he said that we have as good an understanding as any country or any regulator in the world about how it works. He thinks they got right on top of it during the digital platforms inquiry where they went from not understanding much at all to writing a very comprehensive account of how the demand side and supply side of the ad tech market works. Speaking of which, uh, Brittany, you covered the digital platforms inquiry and report and one of the things that I know we giggled at at the time in amidst those 600 plus pages was it including a diagram of how media agencies make money and I can see you smirking already because there was the, the way that they demonstrated a media agency was a man in a somewhat bizarre bowler hat would you say yeah I think that that matches my recollection (laughs) I mean look the ACCC obviously has a view about whether or not murky stuff is happening like that's the terms that they're using the fact that Rod's coming out and saying well you know if you haven't done anything wrong there's no need to be nervous but if you have then there is he suspects that there's people who definitely should be feeling nervous and companies that should be feeling nervous and it's interesting because the the sentiment that I'm hearing is that, you know, externally everyone supports it, but really they maybe think that it's kind of just a bit of a bluff and that really the attention's on Facebook and Google and it'll all be fine. I don't think I believe that. Uh, I think that regardless of the impacts long term, something like an inquiry is going to cost media agencies resources if they're to engage in the process is going to come with scrutiny um you know you think about facebook for example and google the inquiry for those those platforms is extended for another five years you think about legal teams policy teams the sheer resource burden of having to comply with these inquiries so, yeah, I think the ACCC knows what they're looking for. That's what the report and the first inquiry did. They've now just got to dig a bit deeper. I mean, Rod was very keen to stress that he's not going into it with any preconceived ideas. And mm, sure, Rod. <laughs> Brittany does not believe Rod <laughs> and that he's just going to find what he finds. But one thing he was really clear on is that agencies, publishers, ad tech suppliers, everybody who is even connected to the chain in any tiny way needs to get a submission in before that 21st of April deadline because he said if you don't you can't come to us afterwards and complain about the direction of the inquiry and he did say that if you don't get involved and you don't put your voice forward the microphone will be handed over to somebody else and that felt like quite a warning you know be heard, otherwise we're going to listen to other people. And I mean, they're not setting up an inquiry for the purpose of just having a fun expedition to complement, you know, these already extremely lengthy, time-consuming, difficult inquiries. They know there's something there. Maybe he doesn't have any preconceived ideas about just how widespread or not widespread it is or who's complying and who's not complying. But, yeah, I'd say they definitely know that there's an issue and that that's why there's an inquiry to begin with. 
uh, and the other thing is i think just by the fact that it exists it potentially helps clean things up because people know that someone's looking over the shoulder so from that point of view regardless of what they find and i really hope they do get to the bottom of it it does feel like taxpayer dollars well spent yeah and he did use throughout my chat with him uh, rod sims he did use the words transparency and uh opacity 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 sure i'm sure he said it correctly uh many many times so that seems to be what it's about clearing that up and being transparent tim the, the deadline for submissions is the 21st of April to the issues paper and a preliminary report is due to the Treasurer by the 31st of December with a final report on the 31st of August in 2021. Will you be making a submission? I think the issue with us is everything we get is second hand, isn't it? So well, I, I, we're a publisher though. We are a publisher, but we don't, we deliberately don't use programmatic because I've always treated it with deep suspicion because Sounds like something Rod might want to hear. <laughs> yeah, look, I, 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 I've already encouraged a number of people that I chat to who've got insights to put in submissions, and they've told me they're going to. Um, but um, they're the experts. I would be parroting them. Now, before we finish up, and I let Brittany and Hannah run down the various staircases of the Four Seasons Hotel in Sydney to get on stage at our Travel Marketing Summit, I do want to let you know about Mumbrella Audio Land returning to Sydney on the 5th of May. Tune in to hear, oh, I like the pun I've got in front of me here. Tune in to hear sound advice from voices such as Osher Ginsberg, Andy Lee and Michelle Laurie, exploring the entire world of audio and how it can be mastered by publishers, brands and agencies. If you book before the 24th of March, you can save $100. So go to mumbrella.com.au slash audioland. That's all we have time for this week. So thank you for joining me, team. Thank you, Viv. Thanks.